The following sermon is from the Westminster Pulpit, extending the worship ministry of Westminster Presbyterian Church, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We are a local congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format. Please turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 5. When I was in high school, I could walk into Burger King, order two bacon double cheeseburger sandwiches, devour them a moment, and still be hungry a few hours later. Subway would have to give me a foot and a half sandwich to satisfy my hunger, such as the metabolism of a teenage boy. And things have slowed since then. We can continue this morning in the Sermon on the Mount as we look at the third and fourth Beatitudes, verses 5 and 6 that we might learn how to be satisfied in God. Please follow as I read. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for these simple but profound words that pierce our hearts. We pray that you might illumine our minds and help us to walk in your ways in the true paths of righteousness. We pray this in your precious name. Amen. My junior year of high school was the year of my conversion. I was telling our youth group here a week and a half ago, being interviewed by Pastor Walker, how I left for Christmas break that year walking in darkness and returned to school in the new year walking in the light. I was led to Christ by a stranger while out west on a a youth group ski trip. This man was a retiree, a volunteer youth worker, and met me in my need and pointed me to the Lord Jesus. Soon after I became a Christian, I began attending a youth group at a friend's church. The youth group was called Search. That was a great name for me because I was searching. I was hungry for truth. My soul was starved from the junk food of the world, from malnourished, from the inadequate biblical teaching I had received. I was ravenous. I devoured God's word and fellowship with his people for the rest of high school, well into my first year of college. My freshman year in college, I was a Christian group junkie, going from group to group to learn and grow. But then during my sophomore year, my spiritual metabolism began to slow down. I became weary. I discovered that the Christian life is hard. Temptation was strong. Not every professing Christian was necessarily on fire for God. Bible study that I led for freshman guys was met with an unresponsive spirit. My Time in God's Word was not as rich and exciting as it once had been. The honeymoon phase seemed to be over. Prayer, which had come so natural, was now a struggle. The cares of school and life were weighing down upon me. 
Well, I believe my lethargy continued as I wandered for about a year, and then somewhere in my junior year of college, I discovered the doctrines of grace. I believe up to that time, my understanding of the Christian faith was very man-centered, very works-based. And yes, my salvation was the gift of God based on His grace and faith in the perfect work of Christ. And yet, the rest of the Christian life was up to me, living by willpower. Well, after a couple years, Will was running out of gas. I was walking more in the flesh than by the Spirit. And I had to learn a, a new dependency upon God's grace, not only for my justification, my standing before God, but also in my sanctification, learning to walk with God daily. I believe God used that experience to reduce me, to humble me, to show me my neediness, to learn to cry out to him, to depend upon him in new ways with a new kind of hunger. And slowly my quiet times became less of a legalistic ritual and more of a rich fellowship with the God whom I desperately needed to satisfy my hungry soul. I believe that God helps those who cry out to him to become more meek, and to learn to be satisfied in God. Jesus uses the word meek in this third beatitude, which means mild, gentle, tame, in reference to animals. It strikes me as the characteristic most teachers want in a student. And this term was probably caught the Jews off guard who were in Jesus' audience as they were expecting a Davidic military-like Messiah who would lead them to overthrow Roman oppression and occupation, to restore the Davidic dynasty in all of its glory. History is made by conquerors, right? Not meek men. Well, Jesus says that the meek will inherit the earth, not the Alexanders, not the Caesars, the Hitlers, or the Stalins. In Jesus, the meekest of all men was the greatest conqueror the world has ever known. Jesus is largely quoting in this Beatitude, Psalm 37, verse 11, But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Notice Jesus said, he doesn't say, Blessed are the nice guys. British Prime Minister Neville Chamberlain was a nice guy, even as he let Adolf Hitler run rampage unchecked across Europe. Meekness does not mean yielding to injustice, overlooking evil, but stands up for what is right. The meek do not cower before the great. Moses stood before Pharaoh, unintimidated because he had stood in the presence of the Almighty. What did he have to fear of this fraud who claimed a divine nature? The meek do not demand or claim their rights. They're not argumentative. They don't run from conflict. They engage in it when it's constructive, when it's productive and promises to bear fruit. Winning an argument never saved a failing marriage. But meekness can. The truly meek man is one of strong conviction like Moses, like Paul, who were not wallflowers or pushovers. Father Abraham did not assert his rights and demand the first pick, but freely offered it to his nephew Lot. 
David was meek as he refused to strike down King Saul, who was hunting him like a fugitive. But David would not touch him because he was the Lord's anointed. He would not grasp for power, but waited patiently for the Lord to fulfill his promises, even if he had to endure great trials for a time. Later, as David was fleeing his own son Absalom, he endured the cursings of the Benjamite Shimei, entrusting himself to the God who would judge between them. While the other prophets told Israel smooth and easy things that their itching ears wanted to hear, Jeremiah spoke the word of the Lord, a hard message that fell upon deaf ears. Numbers 12.3 has what I believe is an editorial comment that says that Moses was very meek, more than all the peoples among the, on the face of the earth. You remember the context where Moses was being criticized by his older sister Miriam and his older brother Aaron because he had married a Cushite, a non-Israelite, dark-skinned woman, presumably after the death of his first wife. They were jealous of his authority, of his privilege as the chief prophet of God. These siblings of Moses seemed to desire the limelight, to want the the attention and the recognition that they deserved. And these were things that Moses did not seek, not desiring the spotlight or power. Notice on that occasion that Moses does not defend himself. He does not retaliate against his sister, but entrusted himself to God who did intervene and strike Miriam down with leprosy. And notice that Moses does not gloat He is not rubbing in her face, but he prayed earnestly for her until the Lord restored her health. Moses was a meek man. But much later there came one who was meeker still, who did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus was gentle. A bruised reed he would not break, a smoldering wick he would not snuff out. In him there was not the spirit of vindictiveness nor retaliation. Peter says he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he was suffered, he did not threaten but continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. It has been said that the humble are those who do not think of themselves too highly, nor think of themselves too lowly, but rather don't think of themselves much at all. They are not making a habit of brushing up their images. They are not peacocks constantly preening their feathers. The meek are consumed with one thing, the praise and glory of Almighty God. The meek knows that he is a sinner. His pride has been laid waste at the foot of the cross. And the meek do not need to defend or protect themselves because there is nothing worth defending. The axles of marriage and family life are greased by humble confession and forgiveness in the spirit of meekness. The meek do not have a pity party or feel sorry for themselves nor are they consumed with not being understood by others. Nothing can harm 
the meek because they have no rights to themselves. Paul says to the Corinthians, I entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Twice, James exhorts his readers to receive the wisdom of God's word with meekness. Paul says in Colossians 3, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And so as we consider these things, what does it mean to be meek? If we were to be given a meekness test, how would you come out? Are you easily offended? Proverbs 19.11 says, Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Can you forgive others easily without sugarcoating it, without appearing to overlook the matter, but secretly seethe in resentment? The Peacemaker Ministry says that when you forgive somebody, you're making four commitments. To not dwell on the matter, to not gossip to others about the matter, to not use it against the offender and to not allow the matter to drive a wedge between you and the offender. Can you own and confess your sin? Do you diligently pursue repentance? There are many who make confession but fail to follow through with repentance. Can you take correction? How quickly? How zealously do you defend yourself? The person most adamant to always correct the record, to clarify what he said, did, and intended, that everyone must adopt his understanding of a matter. It's not meek. Can you let the fool falsely accuse you, to blame you, as long as it's not hurting others, and to let the matter rest and leave it in the hands of God? If you can... You are on the pathway to meekness. It's a difficult path. The rubs hard against our pride, our insecure need to preserve our image and present ourselves in the best light. But the truly meek are always satisfied. Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Righteousness in the Bible comes in at least three senses the legal, the moral, and the social. That is, the the righteousness before God, the righteousness of one's person, and even uh, the righteousness of a particular community or society. The the legal sense of, of righteousness has to do with our justification, to be in a right relationship with Almighty God. After miraculously feeding the 5,000, Jesus rebuked the crowds because they were hungering for the wrong things. They merely wanted their stomachs filled. But Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will by no means cast out. Those who truly hunger and thirst will be filled and will not be rejected by Christ. But then Jesus goes on to say, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. And many of the crowds there in John 6 were offended and they departed because who is Jesus to tell them they must eat his flesh and drink his blood? A a deep sense of dependence and humility upon the foreign righteousness that only God can provide. 
those who seek righteousness in Christ, will be satisfied in God, and God will be satisfied with you. The scripture affirms that God will remove our transgressions from us as far as the east is from the west. He will cast our transgressions behind his back. He will trample them underfoot. He will hurl all of our iniquities into the depths of the sea. Gone forever. God is satisfied with the finished work of Christ on your behalf by his perfect life, by his atoning sacrificial death in your place. But will you be satisfied as you come to him? Will you stop feeding upon the pigsty of the world and learn to hunger for God and thirst for a righteousness that can be granted only through the work of Christ? And this is more than just a passing desire. It's it's the kind of desire that causes agony and suffering until it is fulfilled. The young man in pursuit of a woman is not satisfied until she becomes his bride. The mother who has lost her child is not satisfied until that child can be found. The family who has suffered a wrongful death will not be satisfied until the responsible parties are brought to justice. And those with a loved one who, have, who has been falsely accused and imprisoned will not be satisfied until the accuser is acquitted. David expresses the same passion in Psalm 63. O oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you, my soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. My soul will be satisfied, as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. Some of us are haunted by the past, by people whom we could not satisfy, a parent, a teacher, a coach whom we could never please. It was never enough. But know this, that if you are in Christ and trusting in his righteousness, God is satisfied with you. God is pleased with you, and he welcomes you to joyfully join in the kingdom to serve and to be set free to please God in all righteousness. His power is made perfect in weakness. And so Jesus is calling us to hunger and thirst for a righteousness as God conforms us into the likeness of Christ. If you have a a pain, a symptom, and you go to the doctor for relief, a good doctor will not just treat the symptom, but will go to the source to find the cure. And though it is greatly involved and involves money and treatment and pain, it's worth it to get the cure to relieve the ailment. If you want blessedness, pursue righteousness. If you want happiness, Scripture says to pursue holiness. If you desire righteousness, what you want is to be free from sin. And it doesn't come by just trying harder, trying to obey the law in your own strength. You can attend all the worship services, listen to all the sermons that you can hear. You can join Bible studies, meditate, and pray on God's word. But you will only grow in righteousness as you learn to abide in Christ and walk by the Spirit by faith. You need in your justification 
and in your sanctification to believe upon the God who enables us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. The meek are free from self-concern, pride, boasting, hypersensitivity, imagining everybody is against them, that desire to glorify self. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are set free, free from self in every way. It wants to be holy, to exemplify these beatitudes, to yield the fruit of the Spirit in great abundance. When Jesus was invited, invited himself into the home of Zacchaeus, it created a crisis for this tax collector. Jesus, the holy man, would become unclean by going into Zacchaeus' home. And so there on the spot, Zacchaeus renounced his sins. He righted all of his wrongs. He held himself accountable to the law. He made restitution for his many crimes. His heart was moved by the initiative of God's grace. And then action followed. Zacchaeus was zealous for righteousness. He knew that God cannot tolerate the presence of sin, so he sought to rid himself of it with zeal. So how do you fare on a test of hungering and thirsting for righteousness? Well, one characteristic of such hunger and thirst is to rid oneself of the counterfeits. One common counterfeit is self-righteousness, the, the pretense that one is a true believer in Christ, but is trusting in one's own good works. But of course, there are many people who truly believe in Christ. They acknowledge their need for salvation. But on a practical day-to-day living, find nothing to confess. In relationships, there are the people who are always requiring the other to apologize. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness means allowing God's Spirit to reveal your heart, to reveal your self-deception. One of the things I was blessed with with my wife Stacy when we were dating was coming to a, a mutual understanding of our need to repent on a regular basis. I don't know how our marriage could function without that. Self-righteousness does not have a place in marriage or anywhere in Christ's church. Another characteristic of hunger and thirsting for righteousness is to put oneself in the way of righteousness. Remember blind Bartimaeus, who could not heal himself, but he heard that Jesus was coming down the path. And so he put himself near the path, and he cried out in a loud voice. And as the crowds were ordering him to be quiet, he cried out all the more. And when Jesus approached him and asked, what would he like Jesus to do for him? Bartimaeus didn't dilly-dally. He said clearly and boldly, Lord, I want to see again. If the Lord asked you, would you say to him, Lord, I want righteousness. I want to be holy. I want greater freedom from my sin. Do you want this? Or are you merely content with the status quo? Jesus says hunger and thirst For righteousness. Put yourself under the ministry of the word. I know I'm preaching to the choir here, but beyond the gathered assembly, are you in God's word? Are you laboring with God in prayer? 
Are you seeking ways to serve? We have children and special needs and refugees and musical needs, all kinds of opportunities to serve. You will grow in practical righteousness as you learn, as you submit to God's word and find ways to serve. But thirdly, there is the social righteousness in the world around us. My hometown of Houston was struck by a devastating hurricane, Hurricane Harvey, back in August, and all the homes that were flooded were tainted, were polluted, as flooring and drywall and even sometimes roofs had to be ripped out and replaced. Everything had to be made new, new insulation, new flooring, new walls, a reminder that we live in a world in ruin that is corrupt and tainted. In a few weeks, I'll be visiting some of our missionaries in the Far East who live in a city that has greatly polluted. The air quality there is toxic, but much greater than the pollution of the water and the air are the hearts of men and women who desperately need Christ. Social righteousness is the desire to see man's liberation from oppression, to promote civil rights, to see justice in our courts, integrity in business honor and respect in the home. Luther, talking about this topic, encouraged those who felt overwhelmed by the world in need, said, if you cannot make the world completely pious, then do what you can. Is it your desire to stand before a holy God, unpolluted, washed and clean, having been transformed into a new resurrected body purchased for you by Christ. Can you imagine living in a body without sin, dwelling in a new city, untainted by sin and rebellion? Is it your dream to be in God's presence, unblemished, without wrinkle, surrounded by the heavenly host in a new world that is spotless and without tainting, imperishable? The scripture promises that at Christ's return, we will be made like him, for we shall see him as he is. Even as we are being transformed from one glory to another. Some of the best advice I ever received was from a staff member of Campus Crusade named Dan Hayes. He used to be a conference speaker when I was in college. And I had an occasion to meet with him privately to get his advice on my pursuit of a ministry call. And at one point, Dan looked at me and said, Tucker, stop taking yourself so seriously. That's common enough advice, but it hit home with me at the time. But that's what meekness is. It is the hard road of putting to death the pride of self-concern. When Michelangelo was crafting the statue David, He was not satisfied until every flaw had been chipped and smoothed away. Will you yield to the master craftsman who is content only when he has fashioned you perfect in the likeness of Christ? Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for modeling, for teaching, for securing for us a righteousness that endures forever. Help us as your followers to hunger and thirst for the things that are pleasing in your sight. Lead us this new week, we ask in your precious name.
Amen.